everybody velvet thanks for having me man there he is ladies and gentlemen this man right here like i said before wears many many hats but he's a filmmaker who is very very focused on giving people quality work and you should definitely see some of the things he he has out there trust me some will make you laugh some will make you cry some will inspire you he does a little bit of everything ladies and gentlemen tonight's guest is Filmmaker JT Schindler. JT, how are you, my friend? Ooh, thanks for having me, Velvet. I, I appreciate you having me on. This is I, I'm honored, actually. This is cool. Hey, nothing wrong with that, man. Thanks for being on here. Uh, I understand that you are in New York. I uh, am in New York. I'm. <laughs> I was telling you, I've been shoveling snow for the past four hours. I feel good. I feel strong. I feel like a man <laughs> right now. <laughs> Hey, that's understandable. Trust me. I, I know about it. Like I was telling you, I grew up in New Jersey. So, you know, when we wanted to make a little money, you know, we go and run up the stairs to different apartments and get our shovel. Do you want to shovel your, your <laughs> snow, shovel your car out of the snow and stuff? And yeah, we get a little money for that. So that was I, always fun. I was shoveling my own driveway and I saw two or three people walk in front of me and give me the eyes like you taking my job. I'm like, it's my driveway, <laughs> man. I'm not stealing money from you. <laughs> There's people down there. Trust oh, me. Oh, <laughs> man. People are just. <laughs> oh, yeah. Trust me. Believe me. I know. I know. And and like, yeah, you're in New York. <laughs> no said, man. Yeah, no said. said. Believe me. Yeah, absolutely. No said. So uh, tell us a little bit about J.T. Schindler. Tell us where you're from and where yeah. your interest in filmmaking began. So I, I'm from Ohio originally. And uh, one of the things that actually interested me about you is I saw that you're a martial artist. Uh, I started out in a dojo at four years old. Uh, wow. I was the youngest student my sensei ever took. Uh, and she never took someone as young as me again. I was <laughs> a handful. Uh, and... I really got interested in like martial arts films because, you know, sensei would play them for us. That was a part right. of the dojo was, hey, let's watch Three Ninjas. Let's watch Jackie Chan, you know, right. like and I thought it was so cool to see Bruce Lee in these like tower fights. And mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of my interest in filmmaking started there because Kata, as you know, is very much a theatrical performance as much as it's a demonstration of skill. And so this started to give me the bug. I started getting into acting. You know, I did martial arts my entire life. I've studied multiple forms. I saw you done the same. And then, you know, when I got into high school, I started doing theater, small films with friends. You get to college and it's like, oh, I need to make money. Okay, so how do you make <laughs> money doing this? And uh, I graduated. I started working a lot of indie projects in New York. And that got me onto the radar of Comedians of Cars getting coffee with Seinfeld. So right. I actually joined that project in their camera department. I, I worked with them for several years, and I ended up actually penning a script for Seinfeld. 
and in wow. perfect Seinfeld fashion, he went, huh, that's funny. No <laughs> laughter. He didn't change. He like barely looked at me as he said it, you know, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately that script didn't end up going anywhere. It was, um, if you ever seen the show, they call it the Dick Corcoran sketches. It was like when he talked to the, the boss at Crackle and I, I penned a script uh, for this. And I, I really like, I still have that script somewhere kicking around. Um, I left there and I went on to work with uh, Above Average, which is an SNL subsidiary. So mm -hmm. I started doing a lot of camera work for them. I started DPing for them. And then that got me into Comedy Central. And at, like, at the end of all of this, it was like, man, comedy does not make money. And like that was the whole thing. It's like, I want to be a filmmaker, but if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. Right. So I started figuring out, all right, so what is the business aspect of it? And I started jumping into producing, and that got me linked up with, I hope, the movie you saw, Homesick, with the South Korean yes. director, Hui Song. So she came to me with this project. Uh, I took the script from her. I rewrote it. I handed it back to her, and that became like the light bulb moment, I would say, in my filmmaking career. is like, oh, this is how you make a movie. Collaboration, cooperation. And then, okay, where do we get the money? Where do we get the crew? Where do we get the gear? Insurance? What's insurance? So I figured, <laughs> <laughs> who do I got to talk to to get insurance? So that, to me, if anybody watches a film I've made, I would say watch Homesick. I'm very proud of this film. And uh, that has thrusted me into where I am today. You know, I, I, my last film, Killer Raccoons 2, which is a bizarre comedy, that I you like that movie? Oh my god, man. <laughs> I'm definitely getting into that, but continue. Yeah, that movie. Oh, so the dude who directed it, he came up to me and said, Hey man, I want to make a feature film. And I was like, Okay, you know, I'm getting into that. What's up? He's like, it's about killer raccoons on a train under siege two style. I'm like, you had me a killer raccoons, my man. Let's make that movie. Yeah. So I, I put it all on the line for him and uh I actually DP'd that film and produced it and UPM'd it. So I nice. I put an easy rig on my back for eight days and shot that movie. I got wow. on it. Yeah, I shot the principal of that film in eight days. I worked 12 to 14 hours a day. Uh, I ended up cutting my rate, I think, by 80% so I could pay crew members. I was like, I'm making this movie, whatever I right. got to do. <laughs> and I think it paid off because it's, it's a stupid comic. It's so dumb. I have to say, it's like the dumbest comedy I've ever made. But we got distribution by Lionsgate. That movie oh, man, got that's awesome. yeah, that movie got picked up. And in 2020, until Sasha Barrett Cohen released his film, we were the number one new comedy in America because we had released it, and there was no other new comedy. <laughs> it's a giant asterisk next to our name but it was like that's i'll hold on we're leaving the top 10 you know like top 10 movies for 2020 for new comedy yeah. uh fallen killer raccoons i started you know getting back in the day playing trying to work on my films sort of where i'm at now is uh i'm producing a film that i wrote uh that i'm directing it's called fatima and the movie takes place in india so I was in India right before like lockdown and everything happened. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting at a table with a company. Um, I was sitting at a table with a company and they were telling me how they had just won five Oscars. 
they were telling me about they just worked on Black Panther. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Look at my phone for a text. Hey, it says my flight might be canceled. I appreciate the coffee. Uh, this has been <laughs> incredible. <laughs> but I have to run out of the country immediately. And that was like back in March. And now we're here. You know what I mean? Like, Right, right. I've had to, every single project I have has been pushed a year to two years. Um, but I've been all in on Fatima pretty much for the past year and a half. Uh, I'm really excited about this movie. And I'm more excited to talk to you just about filmmaking and what you're doing. I know you're, dude, you're, you're acting all over the place. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to get my feet and dip my toes in some of everything, man. Uh, just, just trying to be a part of, I guess any and every genre, I like to challenge myself. I don't like to stay in one box because a lot of actors that I know are like, okay, well, if you get typecasted, if nothing else, that means you'll always have a job. And that's cool to some people. But to me, I'm a creative person and I always want to try to push the limits of my creativity and my ability to act. So that's why I want to get into acting and be as, as good an actor as I possibly can by learning as much as I can and being on as many different sets as I possibly can. But, um, and, and speaking about that, we uh, you mentioned um, film and you mentioned uh, money and the yeah, money needed yeah. to, to make films. Um, um, and I won't even say in recent years, but it's, it almost feels like there have been a lot of remakes of movies. Yeah. And some people who are creatives kind of feel like one of the reasons that is is because a lot of people don't really want to take that much of a chance financially on their own projects. So if that is being said, do you feel that maybe creativity is taking a back seat to somebody who just wants to make a quick buck? It really depends on uh, who you're doing business with. Uh, I So I, I have seen sort of the, the divergence in the industry. And... Hollywood, if you want to follow this model, if you want to make movies with Hollywood, they're not going to make a movie with you if you've not made money before. Right. That's just the rule. Like, there's mm -hmm. no reason for Hollywood to put $10 million down, $100 million down, if they're not going to make $200 million off of you. The risk does not benefit them. So if you're looking at a new director, they need to do their own film. They need to finance it. And so many artists just don't know how financing works, which I was, a, I was totally a victim of that. I had no idea what money was or where it came from. And I think too many people are under this notion that like, if I don't pay for it, I don't own it. And that's like the hardest lesson to teach people when it comes to raising money for films is don't spend your own money. Get right. somebody else to finance your film. Exactly. Well, how do you do that? Is you make a pitch deck and then you sell, 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 sell. And that was the biggest lesson for me is that I needed to become a salesman. I needed to learn about the SEC, and mm -hmm. like their effect on the industry. I needed to learn about commissions because that's my biggest way to raise money is if I'm like, hey, Velvet. If you raise a million dollars for my project, I'll give you a hundred grand out of right. that million. Take 10% and it's yours before taxes. Just have it because that's how business works. And Absolutely. that's how you get movies made. 
a lot of people they they think that they can make a feature on 80 grand that they saved up and it's their entire life savings and it just breaks my heart because i've worked on that movie i made that movie and it was like yeah man but now you have no money no distribution model and no return <clears throat> strategy right so how are you going to recoup those losses and it's tough because <clears throat> if we want to make movies they have to make money, but right. we make movies because we want to express ourselves creatively as artists. So it's like, where do you marry that? And mm -hmm. there is a give and take on both sides. And I don't have all the answers there. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm learning the dance. And uh, my biggest lesson for all of this actually came from college is I had a professor. This dude was a nut job. So this dude, this dude was absolutely insane. He used to paint arrows on his pants pointing down, and he told people it's because he didn't believe in gravity. The rumor, <laughs> the rumor <laughs> was that he had taken a little too much acid. Uh -huh. You know, like you could do acid, but he did that like too much acid level, like around right. the 70s. Uh -huh. But he also was the only person with a mural on campus that was untouched, and it went an entire wall, but then also like up under a bridge and no one ever saw him paint it so it was clear that he was wow. a genius you know like yeah. he was very talented but he taught this class called art in your life mm -hmm. and you you came to class and he said i'm gonna split the class into two groups blue group red group blue group sits over there red group sits over there i'm taking away all your names you all get numbers and i was like okay and then he went, numbers, what are those? Those come from the sky. The sky is blue, but blue is a color, and color is what we see. And he would do that for an hour and a half. Oh, wow. <laughs> he did that every day for an hour and a half. And then the last day, we're all just like pulling our hair out. Like, what is happening? He goes, you pay tuition. It was suddenly the, like a sober moment, and everyone like clicked in. You, you pay tuition. Tuition goes to the university, which pays my college. The college then pays me to stand up here and talk bullshit for an hour and a half. That's <laughs> art. That's what art is. Get paid to do nothing. And then he just walked away and it was like, oh my God. <laughs> just oh, destroyed man. a room of people. Because, you know, as an artist, you think it's all about like expressing yourself. And it mm -hmm. is. And I don't want to take that away from people. But right. Banksy gets paid. Banksy makes money and none of us know who Banksy is. Wow. Think about that. That man is the most famous artist in the world and you have no clue what he looks like. We know it's a he. That's mm. been proven, but that's right. it. Some of the most famous artists in the world make so much money and you just don't really, they don't have fame. And I feel like right. that's the exactly. thing we have to separate when we start talking about filmmaking. In your case, we'll say acting. And I'm sure you seem like, a very entrepreneurial person. You'll probably get into yeah. producing and things like this at some point. Yeah, I want to. I want to. You you should because that's where the control is. When exactly. you control the distribution, you control the return on the eyeballs because that's all distribution is. Mm -hmm. That's how you control the flow of art. And I think the skill becomes sneaking in art, sneaking in messages that are layered by a product that's profitable. 
And so this, it becomes like this odd lasagna of filmmaking and artistic representation <laughs> where it's like a whole bunch of cheese, right. a lot of spice, a very, very expensive meat that I hope you will taste later. And then some more cheese, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, like, and that's the trick to all this for me is expressing yourself, being fulfilled as an artist, a hundred percent, but making enough money that you can make your next movie. Absolutely. And that's, that's where a lot of people really kind of find themselves in, in a strange conundrum in a sense, because there's always this, 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 um, this need to want to express yourself. Of mm -hmm. course, when people start writing and putting things from here on the paper and it goes to the storyboard and all that other kind of stuff. Um, a lot of times there are people who want the entire story told the way they want it told. Uh, but then things happen, things happen. Um, there are things that are left out of the story for various reasons, you know, time constraints or, you know, maybe sometimes things may offend certain people or whatever. Yep. And then sometimes the, the motivation behind the art tends to get lost in translation. And then that's where people start getting confused. Well, just like you said, is, you know, what's the most important thing? Is it that I tell my story and tell it in the way that I want to, or is it that, you know, there's, that I profiteer off of it ultimately. And, and that's, that's it's where that's, that's, like, it's, a, it's, it's a this, slippery right? slope. Yeah. It's, this it's such a slippery thing. slope. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's like little bit of a dance and you have to be flexible because sometimes when you're leading the partner does something and you have to react to it. Absolutely. And if you don't, you will stumble, you will fall. And like, it's so important to be reactive and mm -hmm. be flexible so that you can keep that dance going. Oh my gosh. That's right. Because you cannot ignore, you have to stay in tune with the rhythm. Mm -hmm. You have to stay in tune with the synergy because if you don't, then everything just looks odd it and does. it doesn't make any sense. It'll feel forced. And we, we often talk about a, my sets. What's the mm -hmm. vibe? What's the energy? Because right. that will get imprinted on the actors ultimately. If somebody is like kind of not feeling it, they're talking about all oh, the food is crap today. The director's <laughs> being a dick. The actor's going to hear that. And now their facial expression, even if it's slight, you know it. You've been on a yeah. bad set. You know, oh, God, like yeah. you react to that energy. And if I'm not giving you good vibes, God, I just fucked my entire. Can I swear? I apologize. Oh, uh, go right ahead. Me. You know, I, mean, I just fucked my entire project. Like it's <laughs> yeah. that is a real thing to me, and it's why I am such a proponent of crew and talent first. Keep mm -hmm. the people happy, whatever they need, so that we have a good product to put forward later. Something uh, you brought up that I want to touch on right now is about okay. the idea of the script, the story, mm -hmm. and how integral is it to tell my story so to me this starts to fall under that auteur theory the idea that like the writer director is this enigma and it's like how full of shit are you person yeah. <laughs> like when i wrote fatima i handed the script out to the people i trusted and they came back black line red line oh dude just destroyed it oh, and man. it was like thank you 
because we took it and we put all those changes in and then I showed it to another person and they went, this is beautiful. I want to make this right now. And it's like, cause you need other people in the room. And right. one of the most important things I did, and I have to say this is I went to women. I trusted first mm -hmm. because if there's not a woman at the table, you're making a mistake. Right. Then I went to men and that's because I'm a male author. I needed to hear a woman's opinion first to be like, yo, this is offensive. It's like, whoops, <laughs> let's clean that up. And then Absolutely. you take it to a man who I might uh, relate to easier. Mm -hmm. Let's just say it that way. And if they were like, oh, that's cool. It's like, I'm on track. Let's keep going. That was integral to me. Uh, my wife is co-writer on my script because she was like, hey, I love your message. I like what you're doing with this script, but the language right here, it, you don't need to curse here. You don't need to, it doesn't need to be so violent. Right. And it's like, interesting. Tell me more. And mm -hmm. that changed everything in the script because you can still tell your story. You can still mm -hmm. get your message across. Even if you change one or two words, even if you just change the color of something. Right. What is more important? Getting to the finish line or mm -hmm. getting your thing dragged and shoved? I don't know. In my opinion, it's getting to the finish line with the best possible thing I can. Totally agree. Totally agree. Now, I did. I, I watched the uh, the trailer yeah. or the, the film pitch for yeah, yeah, yeah. Fatima, and, um, which, was, um, which, was, which was very good. It's very very enlightening uh, the story was told by the wonderfully by the beautiful uh viana sinan yeah and in speaking about it she one of the things that she talked about more than anything else was the fact that when the story was being told um there was something about it that you know like the like the story itself has been altered by history yeah and that you guys wanted to tell the story a certain way now even though this is a a a film in which you'll be doing that have you ever been inspired to tell another story not this one but maybe another one in which history may not have uh given it it's just due or being that you are a very big proponent of gender equality has not been fair to women it's my entire career so fatima actually comes from me researching a feature film that does exactly what you're saying um there's a story I've been developing for a couple of years now where we've all been told about this like certain king that exists and everybody praises that dude like a hundred percent. And they're all like, yo, this king is the greatest king in the world. Right. And when I was researching and I found out that his third wife was actually responsible for everything he did in history. And they completely deleted her. And so that was the thing. I was like, are you joking? And like, I looked it up on Wikipedia. The girl is like a one page article on Wikipedia. He's like a 20 page article. Oh, and wow. Yeah. And you're just like, I, I, so that's the next movie. Right. But gotcha. <laughs> because of that movie, I was led to Fatima. I was led mm -hmm. to this thing of, it was so silly to me and I'll repeat it for people who maybe haven't seen the pitch is um, when we talk about the evil eye, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the, the blue symbol with the eye in the middle. Right. People often talk about this story 
where a woman was at home cooking dinner for her husband and he came home with uh, a new wife right and she was like oh and she was so distraught that she shoved her hands in the boiling water to sort of like show obedience now mm. i heard that story and i was like bullshit right. <laughs> you know? exactly i know way too many women on a personal level that an intimate level is like there's no way <laughs> even if she was polyamorous she was not gonna do that there's no yeah, way yeah grab the handle of the pot right. and throw it at him like yeah he, he didn't ask you no i don't think that's how you're gonna respond to this. yeah exactly because <laughs> let's be real there are polyamorous relationships but I don't think that's how they would have reacted to this situation. Right. So that's what led me on to this adventure and this journey. And I'm telling you, man, when we were researching this story, we dug into the Sumerian uh, cuneiforms. We were looking at Dead Sea Scrolls. We were reading like ancient, ancient stuff, anything we could get our hands on until we found sort of like these pieces of a legend that lead to the story of Fatima. And right. For me, anytime like I'm writing, the thing that I'm looking for is like that vibration. Because what will mm. happen is like, I, I like to call it channeling because there's no other better word for it. But it's like, I'm right. not thinking, I'm like listening. Like I suddenly I just like shake and it's like exciting. And it's like, oh, I think the universe is telling me what to write down here. These words aren't coming from me. I am just repeating something that i'm hearing that's the goal for me and fatima right. the whole time i've been creating this story it's just been like ah <laughs> <laughs> must get this out and right. <laughs> i i live for that as an artist i feel like any real artist when they're in the zone they'll tell you it's it's channeling absolutely there's that creative moment where you just tap the vibration of the universe and say mm -hmm. thank you Thank you for this gift. I am so grateful. I hope I'm alive on the other end of this because I'm just going to get it out. And that's been an absolute blessing in this film. Yeah. And when, when you get that moment, like you never, that moment never comes when you're looking for it. Nope. It, it, it's spontaneous. It's spontaneous. And when it, when it's there, you have to ride it until the wheels fall off. Like seriously, because you never, you don't see it coming. And you don't know when or if it will come again. So when that happens, you have to milk it for all it's worth. So creatively, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, speaking of creativity, yeah, I told you I was going to get to this. And yep. I had to talk to you. I I've only seen the trailer. <laughs> but I can't wait to watch the movie. Killer Raccoons 2. Yeah. Dark Christmas in the dark mm -hmm, mm -hmm, please mm -hmm. allow, just just out of curiosity what was the most satisfying part about making that entire movie oh my god so one of the most out uh, dude it's the whole film but i <laughs> 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 there's so many things that happened in this project and uh the first thing is the director told me he had taxidermied raccoons Mm -hmm. taxidermied i was like cool taxidermy raccoons we'll kind of puppet them around i showed up to set and he goes hey my my raccoon guy should be here soon i was like raccoon guy yeah <laughs> what, what do you mean by raccoon guy and this this ohio trapper shows up with dead frozen raccoons in a refrigerator 
and I say, you said taxidermy, man. You tell me. <laughs> you tell me I have to look my crew member in the eye to go get gloves on to grab a dead raccoon out of a freezer in the back. He's like, that's what I'm telling you. And if you could get them to do it with a smile on, <laughs> I would appreciate it. So we had interns, these kids from college with right. gloves and like full suits on, like miming these frozen. <laughs> they have guns at one point, man. So we're having to like strap guns to them and like outfits. Yeah. And mind you, these are bad raccoons. These are raccoons that had like the cops <laughs> called on them. You know, they were yeah. they were stealing people's garbage. They were biting people. These weren't good <laughs> raccoons. They deserved what happened. But it, that was a rough. That was like I had to go home after that night to be like, I need. I just need a minute. Like I don't know. <laughs> the other crazy thing about that project was I was. I told you I was the DP and the producer. I had right. a lot of hats on that project. Right. So I was integral for a lot of the hiring processes, a lot of the scouting. And the day I got introduced to my gaffer was sort of the first day we were doing a scout. And I found out on our scout that he was an ex-Marine, that he had done like two tours. And I was like, oh, shit. OK, <laughs> I, res I respect that, like right. on a very personal level, like, I respect that. And we were standing outside one point, just kind of like staring at a rock wall, trying to see if we could use it as a fake cliff, which you'll see is in the movie. It actually ended up making the movie. And the okay. dude popped out a blunt, started rolling it without like just out of thin air, like freaking Gandalf, right? Sparks <laughs> it, starts smoking. And he, he looks at me. He's like, don't ever go to war unless you can win. Filmmaking is a battle every day day is a battle and if you don't think you can win it don't go right i was like okay he's like i think we can win this war man and i was like shit that's all the confidence i need and like <laughs> we jumped in the back of a car and we're riding down the street and i think we're headed to like get dinner or something after that scout and he turns to me again and he's like the movie's already shot and i hell are you talking about i think you're high man <laughs> no man the movie's already shot our timeline just needs to catch up it's already shot it's already successful it's already done we just got to ride that wave now and live it through and i don't know what it was about that that level of confidence that mm -hmm. was just like i needed that all right let's do it and that dude and i i mean it was him and i that whole project a lot of people did a lot of great things our first ac dylan she was an absolute genius mm -hmm. with the camera. I loved working with her, but this man, oh my God. If you can ever get an ex-Marine to be on your project, highly yeah. recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> they just have a certain level of understanding of what it takes oh, that yeah. you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it doesn't surprise me because uh, I know when I did, uh, I did a crime recreation show and the I guy that was that. showing us, I watched that. Yeah, the guy You're that. You're so uh, good in that. Thank you, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> but the guy who was uh, who was the, who was our stunt choreographer. I think yeah. he's a former marine, and I mean he was in. And we talked, and he his 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 mindset is something crazy. I mean it's just like like he would, just pretty much the same thing you said. He he take filmmaking terminology, 
put some military lingo in there, mm-hmm. and before you know it, we all want to run through a wall. You you were ready. The truth. Yeah. You were ready. You were ready. He <laughs> was like, we're shooting in the snow. Let's do it. Put an extra layer on. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he that also taught me we're filmmakers are idiots. We say copy when we should be saying Roger. Mm-hmm. He taught me that. He was like, every filmmaker he's ever met uses his term wrong. Copy <laughs> means, hey, I'm going to go get that C stand. Copy that means you are also going to get that. It literally means you're going to copy what they're doing. If they say, hey, I'm going to grab that C-stand, you go, Roger, that confirmation. That's it. I I don't know why it got so corrupted in our (laughs) filmmaking that I've tried to teach everybody that I work with, like, hey, let's use the correct terminology, except for I was on a really loose production about a year and a half ago, and we Mm -hmm. changed it to party. So right. it'd be like, hey, man, I'm going to go uh, get that C-stand. It'd be like, party. I don't know. <laughs> we, just <thought> that, <laughs> we just thought that was the funniest thing ever. Um, but speaking of Marines, best AD I've ever worked with was a Marine. Uh, mm. We had two Marine, or two ADs on the project. Uh, our first AD, she did most of the project. And she was fantastic. I had nothing against this woman. But she was the type of AD that was like, you got five minutes and you have three now. And it's like, oh, God, God damn, okay, I'm on it. You know, mm. like, she, no nonsense. He would show up and go, hey, what's preventing us? We good? How are we feeling, everybody? Are we all right? All right, let's get moving. It was, he could control everything without even raising his voice. Mm. And it's just something in their, their vibration, their rhythm, as we said before, that right. you were like, I want to dance with you. Mm. I like that energy. I'm willing to work in three minutes now because you're not yelling at me because you don't need to yell. You know, I'm going to snap too. And it was, I just something about that. I've always carried with me is the more bees with honey type of thing, you know, like unless somebody's really messing up, Mm. I don't, I don't raise my voice. I I won't curse at employees or anybody that I'm working with. Unless I absolutely have to. I got you. I got you. Now, I was going down your IMDb. Sure. And I was looking at some of your your, your many, many credits. Uh, you, you, you've done so many things in so many different. Uh, you won, you've worn so many hats, man. Uh, cinematographer, director, actor, producer, writer, editor, assistant camera. You, the list goes on and on and on. Here's something I had to ask you. Yeah. You acted in a film uh i think it was called three pregnant men yeah <laughs> please have, have at it three please. pregnant men was uh uh it was a faux documentary mm-hmm. uh the premise of the film is uh they brought me on to be unit production manager and producer mm-hmm. uh it was a micro budget feature uh we we shot it in 21 days and they found out that I was an actor and that I had studied acting and being a micro budget feature. They're like, we forgot to cast one of the like tertiary, tertiary supporting characters. And I was like, I, I could do it if you want me to, you know, like with my <laughs> headset off, right. change my shirt. I don't even need makeup. I'm pretty. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so I hopped in the scene and did it. And uh, the other actor and I still talk. It was like the most fun just jumping in a scene like that. But that movie, the premise is that science has advanced far enough along that uh, we could impregnate men 
and it being a, like a fake documentary, it was sort of this like sad comedy about what would happen if three men were impregnated. Right. And a lot of the film went more the route of like how would si- like society react? Mm-hmm. Not well. And I think that's pretty honest. <laughs> I don't think society really wanted that type of thing to happen. Right. Um, it's a great film. It's it's very funny, but also oddly heartwarming for like a comedy of that nature, you know? Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of credit to the director is it still carries this like kind of strong feminist vibe to it where one of the things that the film tries to talk about is does a woman have to be masculine to be powerful and does a man have to be effeminate to be compassionate and it's like or are these roles sort of antiquated at this point you know and i i think that was a cool exploration Uh, i don't want to give too much away about the film as yeah that could but it's a part of the film that i really enjoyed that he attempted to do um my scene is very quick if you watch it (laughs) (laughs) um the basic role is that my wife and i were unable to conceive so the lead actor was carrying our surrogate and we were a part of the experiment is he was carrying my child and i was just like sure yeah uh how quick is this um it's not my top build imdb but it's it's in there i like it right An- another film i acted in that was so wild i don't know if you saw it was noah aronofsky's movie i haven't looked at it but i'll it's check it out definitely will very interesting film so i'm in noah but i was casted as what's called special talent select have you ever heard of this classification i never have no i thought they invented it i'm pretty sure they did so <laughs> the film had over, I think, 5,000 extras. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. And there were huge war scenes. And so my main job was they had the A-list talent, me, and then the 5,000 extras. And there was okay. like a crew of like 10 of us. And we were all spread out and we were given special clearances and our main idea was that when we acted, we would be right behind the lead talent, but we were also keeping an eye out for any crazies, anybody causing any danger, because they could not be embedded in the talent. So we were right. to just keep track of people, and if needed, shove people off if they were getting too close. Like mm-hmm. It was a really bizarre role to be in, because you had like basically completely embedded like PA actor, something. <laughs> like it was just like I don't know what my job is, but I'm just gonna keep him <laughs> safe. I'm gonna stay safe, like PA slash actor slash key grip slash. So <laughs> silly, man. And like that film, I there was on more than one occasion I was eye to eye with Aronofsky, looking and talking to him, and over the dumbest things, it would just be like how to get all these background actors to be in the right position at the right time mm-hmm. and it was the first time i had ever had this happen aronofsky and i had talked and then he had kind of talked to the other special talent selects and then they had talked to the background actors mm-hmm. and then the first ad came out and 
contradicted what Aronofsky said. And I said, hey, that's not correct. And like a cartoon, everybody backed up five steps and I was left alone staring down the first AD of this like $300 million movie. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, sir, (laughs) (laughs) having to then defend myself speaking against him. And Uh, he, he got heated. And then Aronofsky came out of his tent and was like, no, he, he's correct. What I told him, I don't know why you're, it basically corrected his first AD. And I was like, I'm going to go get some lemonade while you all figure this out. Like, I don't want any part of him getting fired. Uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's, that's awesome. Um, uh, well, JT, um, what's next for you besides Fatima? And tell our, yeah. our viewers where they can find you on social media. So, uh Main thing for social media, you can find me either JT Schindler. That's like a big one. I just use my name. The other thing is Nobody Creative, which I'll spell that out for you because it's K-N-O-W-B-O-D-Y Creative. Uh, Next steps for me is we're doing Fatima first. And then I actually have a conversation, ongoing conversation right now with Sony India And the idea is that we could start shooting features either in Malaysia, India, or other areas of South Asia. Nice. Uh, I'm speaking with a crew in Malaysia. And what we want to do next is shoot uh, who has done this in Malaysia. We're very excited, like an old Agatha Christie novel, but in Malaysia, working on the script right now. uh, It's got that vibration thing. I got people excited about it. So that's, you know, next steps for me is, get back to India probably this summer, do Mm -hmm. scouting for Fatima, get that totally locked in, shoot that in, I'm hoping, October. Uh, We've had a fairly successful crowdfunding. We're going to do a couple grants here pretty soon for that. Then I move on to the Malaysian feature. In the meantime, I got a novel coming out. I'm busy, man. I'm writing a novel right now, which I hope everybody will read. I'm really happy about this novel. Uh, and then I got a, my second son coming wow. April 4th. I'm gonna be a dad again. Congratulations. And thank you, man. Thank you. My first son, I, 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 I cried and I, I hugged my wife. I was so excited. My second son, my wife told me, I went, Oh, fuck. another one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm very excited. Um, doing the dad thing. Just staying creative. Yeah. And look, anybody who's watching, Velvet, if you're interested, I do produce, I do EP. If you need money, let me find it for you. That's a huge thing I like doing. I, I consider that my day job is just right. finding people money. So if you have a project, hit me up. Let's talk. I can at least help you get your pitch out the door. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. I have had a ball talking to you. I know this is not going to be the last time you and I talk. You are more Please. than welcome to uh, join and 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 uh, be interviewed here on Thespian Works anytime you want to. Anytime you have a project that uh, you're working on, that you've done, that you've completed, that you want to get out there for people to know what it is. Please be, you know, you're more than welcome. The door is always open to you. I, I appreciate uh, that. Absolutely, man. I have had a ball talking to you. Um, Congratulations in advance on uh on your son mm-hmm. about to be born. That's awesome. I'm um 
eye level with my daughter right now. She's eating dinner in front of me. So oh, it's so sweet. That's sweet. <laughs> yeah. I, I better yeah. let that side out of me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Thespian Works with Anthony Velvet Hall. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Mr. JT Schindler, for joining me. And as always, everybody, please remember three things: life is short death is certain and be sure to love on the people god gives you because one day he's gonna want them back all right everybody take care god bless